this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 381, and today we are talking about books being released on September 27th, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia Elsie Tuttle, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Patricia, hello! Hey, Liberty. How are you doing? Oh, I am so very tired. I went to NEBA, which is the New England Independent Booksellers Association Fall Conference, and I'm out of practice. It has been four years since they did it in person, I think. Four years? Or three years? Three years since they've done it in person. And... In that time, I barely leave the house, and I certainly have not been standing around holding large tote bags full of books for several hours at a time. So each night I went back to my hotel room, and my body threatened to murder me while I was sleeping. But it was really fun. It's so fun. It's always like summer camp going to these things, because you get to see people that you don't get to see the rest of the year, and everybody is talking about what's new and exciting and what's going on, and, you know, the bookseller gossip, and it's just a great time. I got to see some really cool authors. Uh, I'm going to tell you about one of the books, like, the book that everybody told me that I have to read. Like, I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to mention it later in the show because it does come out on Tuesday, as luck would have it. And yeah, this was my first time leaving my two orange boy cats alone since we got them. So they, according to my husband, were not thrilled about it because I spend all day with them, you know, every day. Like, I never go anywhere. So they were pretty lost. And then my husband was like, oh, they slept on me. (laughs) And I was like, of course they did. They always sleep on me. He's like, I don't like it. (laughs) And I was like, well, it's only for like another two days. So get over it. (laughs) But yeah, it was really fun. I also got to do a virtual event for a YA festival for a bunch of uh, librarians where I talked about a lot of the YA books that... I really enjoyed this year. And one of my friends, very helpfully, uh, who was at the event in person, texted me in the middle of it so that it came up on my computer screen while I was trying to read my notes that said, your head looks huge. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It was really nerve wracking for me because this is my first time doing an event where I didn't have someone to talk to. You know, I just had to discuss books for 30 minutes and I couldn't see myself. So I was already like, uh, this is weird. And then they're like, your head is huge. I was like, so helpful. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. So oh my gosh. that was my exciting week. How about you? Let's see. Um, well, I'm like, what has been exciting going on? I have been doing a bit more baking, which I haven't hadn't done in a while. Mm-hmm. I think I just kind of took a break from baking. I don't know. But it is 
Halloween. I mean, it's always spooky season in our apartment, but I recently got a pan that is like tiny skull shaped cakelets. Mm -hmm. So I've been making like little skull cakes and um, I'll probably like, I'm trying to bake more. Mm -hmm. I did. I have been getting up really early lately and like a couple hours earlier than I normally do because we got a new mattress. So I guess I'm finally getting good sleep. And so now I'm getting up like two hours earlier every day, which is over the week. That's like 14 hours. That's like a whole waking days worth of hours that I have added to my week. So now I spend my mornings reading and a couple mornings I just like baked at like 6.15 in the morning. Uh, But it was great because then I had like cake the rest of the day. So I'm I'm not complaining. Uh, I saw the skull cake pan thing and I would get up two hours early to bake with that too. And I would insist that everyone eat everything from then on from this like skull pan, like scrambled eggs, got to put them in the skull pan first. Rice balls, got to put them in the skull pan first. Like everything, ice cubes, everything would have to be skull shaped. Well, I do have, I have a silicone skull shaped ice cube uh, tray already. And, but so also in the skull pan, I want to do like little cornbreads, like cornbread skull pan. And my other idea is if we make marshmallows again, because Nicole and I will sometimes make marshmallows from scratch. I want to make marshmallows in the skull pan. Sticky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very, I'm very excited. But then, then we could have like little, like white marshmallow skulls. Mm-hmm. I might even put like edible glitter in them or whatever because that's who I am as a person. And then we could like put it in our hot chocolate. And then I also got from. I don't know, Target probably. They had little pumpkin-shaped silicone ice cube things. Mm-hmm. But Nicole and I, like, here's here's my grand plan is that I'm going to make butter from scratch and put a pumpkin spice mix in the butter. So it's pumpkin spice butter to then put into the pumpkin molds. So I have molded butter. To then eat on my cornbread skulls, and also I know you're vegan, so you're like, (laughs) (laughs) well, this is this is a very exciting, important conversation. I'm gonna stop us here for a second uh, to pause for our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of Just Some Stupid Love Story. So in Just Some Stupid Love Story by Caitlin Doyle, Molly and Seth were best friends turned lovers until Molly ghosted Seth on the eve of their high school graduation, which is very trifling, I might add. So now they've reunited again at their high school reunion 15 years later, and they make a bet. Whoever can predict the fate of five couples before the next reunion must declare that the other is right about true love. But what is the catch, you might ask? Well, the catch is that the fifth couple is them. Dun, dun, dun. So this is a callback to the best 90s and early 2000s rom-coms. If you like When Harry Met Sally or How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, this will be right up your alley. This is also perfect for fans of romance readers of Emily Henry, Catherine Center, and others like that. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of Just Some Stupid Love Story, for sponsoring this episode. (laughs) 
Today's episode is brought to you by Yin Press, your favorite publisher of Japanese manga and novels. Tragedy unfolds on the first day of spring when a train derails at Nishi Iwakahama Station, changing the course of hundreds of lives. Two months later, a rumor spreads of a ghost with the power to send others back in time, inevitably attracting those who seek a chance to go back to that fateful day. The God of Nishi Yuagahama Station by Takeshi Morase is a moving story about the unpredictability of life. It aims to comfort tired souls and answers the famous question, what would you do if you had a second chance? Told through the eyes of a student, a son, and a bride-to-be, this heart-wrenching novel is a reflection of how grief impacts us and what we must do to pick up the pieces. Don't miss this literary debut full of fabulism and time travel by Japanese writer Takeshi Murase. To learn more, please visit yinpress.com. And thanks again to Yin Press, your favorite publisher of Japanese manga and novels, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so we have pumpkin butter. We have skull cakes. I can't eat any of this. <laughs> I would just fill it like I would just fill a skull pan with hummus. Be like, skull hummus. That probably wouldn't hold up very well. I don't know. We've gone off the rails. We Patricia and I discovered recently that we both have an affinity for little skeleton, like toys of real life things, and sometimes not real life things. So, for instance, I have one of a scorpion, and we have we both have the unicorn. I have one of a balloon animal, like a balloon animal dog. Which does not have a skeleton, which is why it's so awesome. Oh my you gosh, know, like I'm so I have, jealous. I have all kinds of like weird, weird ones. And we like apparently bones and skeletons and skulls and things you put in them. Middle-aged goths coming to you live. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, you know, for the convention, excuse me, that I went to, uh, you know, I'm me. You know, but everybody's wearing a mask. And so I'm like, well, in case people don't know I'm me, you know, I'm like, hey, how's it going? It's Liberty. And they're like, yeah, we know it's you. <laughs> like, you know, I'm wearing like my four inch platform, you know, metal boots and like all this stuff. So I was calling myself Goth Granny. But then my friend Albert, he renamed me Goth Brooks. I mean, Goth Brooks, like Goth Brooks. <laughs> goth Books. So that's, that's well my name. Yeah. It was hilarious. Uh, so we are going to talk about books, but ca- can I tell you one more one more thing that I'm really Please. excited about? Yeah. Because, oh my goodness. So if you're going to be at New York Comic Con this year, I'm going to be there moderating a couple of panels, and they asked me to do this one panel uh, called Leaning Into the Witchy. It's a bunch of YA authors and adult authors talking about witchy books, which is very exciting. And and like I don't mean to like steal their thunder. But then they asked me to moderate a panel between R.L. Stein and James Howe. And I literally sat on my office floor and just cried because I could not believe they want me to talk to Goosebumps and Panicula. And my husband came in the room and he said, I don't know if this is a happy cry or a sad cry, so I'm just going to go out here until until you can talk. Because I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just so excited. Like, I mean... It, the other panel is going to be great, but you know, you know how I feel about Panicula. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I am so like I am so excited for you, and I Thank think you. I would have the same reaction. I would yeah. just sit on the floor and cry. Yeah. I have a Panicula tote bag um, that I just use as my regular purse. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Also, whoever out there has my limited edition Panicula book with the red velvet, uh, you better give it back because. 
I'm coming for you. I can't find it. <laughs> but I, I will say, oh my gosh, we, we haven't even talked about books yet. We've been talking for like 10 minutes. I will say that my house is out of control now with books. Like, so it's not surprising I can't find things anymore. I pulled my bed out from the wall because like, what's another like foot or so? I pulled my bed out from the wall and stacked books behind it because oh I gosh. needed more space. And I was like, nobody's going to be looking back there. It's fine. Yeah. We're going to talk about books now that like we can talk about, but this was really fun. Um, it was a really great way to unwind after a very long week uh, in which I spent <laughs> much of it sitting on I-95 in traffic. Oof. So <laughs> I'm going to kick it off with Everything is Okay by Debbie Tung. Debbie Tung is the author of several books already. She is a comic artist. I thought like after this long week, we needed something soft and comforting to start with. And also, this addresses a really important issue, mental health. I think it's incredibly important to be open and honest about mental health issues. If, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, of course, I'm not asking you to do that. But, you know, if you do, like, you know, everyone needs to hear these things. And Tung is talking about her depression and anxiety in this book. She has these, like, you've probably seen her stuff. She did Book Lover a couple of years ago, which is just comics about loving books. So I'm sure everyone out there listening has it. Uh, Happily Ever After and Everything in Between, A Quiet Girl in a Noisy World, An Introvert Story. So this one, like I said, is, is a memoir about her dealings with depression and anxiety. And sometimes she uses colorful images, and sometimes she uses gray images, depending on how she feels. And she talks about her anxiety. She talks about how she feels like she has all this, this stuff. She has all these great things in her life, uh, and she should feel one way about them, but she still doesn't feel happy, which is basically like the definition of depression, you know, you know, when you just, you can't control it, you know, no matter what is happening in your life. And she's very candid about her thoughts and her process of trying to navigate her depression and how people who experience it know how hard it is to silence the negative thoughts in their heads, you know. I try to look at it sometimes when I'm talking with my therapist as like my brain is a car and sometimes I'm driving the car. and But then sometimes, you know, my brain is driving. It's like on, it's like on, uh, you know, cruise control and I'm not, and I'm not in the driver's seat and I'm thinking, sitting in the passenger seat going, none of this stuff that my brain is telling me is right. But my brain is like, I'm driving hundred miles an hour and I'm swerving all over the road. You know, like that's how I try to like focus on it. I, that's how I manage it. I think, okay, you know, I need to get back in the driver's seat and, and that works for me. You know, everybody finds things that work for them. And this is a really great book for anyone going through tough times, because it always helps to know that you are not alone. You know, it's something that we hear all the time, but it's absolutely true. You know, there are things that they tell us that are absolutely true. You know, you need to drink water, exercise is good for you, and, you know, you are not alone, you know, and things will get better, even when your brain tells you otherwise. This book encourages people to be kinder to themselves. You know, we say things to ourselves that we would never say to other people. We think things of our and expect things of ourselves that we would never expect of others. You know, we need to be nicer to ourselves. So combined with the lovely illustrations, this is a really great gift for yourself or someone else. It is Everything is Okay by Debbie Tung. I'm going to have to check that out. It's really, really nice. Let's see. For my first pick, I have House of Hunger by Alexis Henderson. On Twitter, the author describes this book as her Hannibal meets Carmilla gothic horror novel. A dark fantasy featuring Elizabeth Bathory, 
heavily centered on the very bloody lore surrounding this notorious historical Hungarian noblewoman. While the Countess is central to the story, our main heroine is Marion Shaw. Marion has grown up in the south of Prane. In this fictional world, the south and the north are at odds in almost every way. Marion is specifically from the slums of Prane. Her parents died when she was younger, leaving her with her abusive brother, Raoul, who depends on his maudlam addiction to numb him of his physical and emotional pain. Marion is a maid for an awful woman in town, and Marion is pretty much the only source of money to be coming into her and Raoul's home. Marion dreams of so much more. There is money to be made in the North. The nobles of the North have peculiar tastes, which is to say they drink blood. For health, but it also seems like for funsies. If a person is lucky enough to be chosen and brought on as a blood maid, they would be set for life after their few years of service. They live in the great noble houses of the North, existing in opulence and luxury, and they would regularly be bled for their masters and mistresses. It is understood that after their tenure, blood maids are given a large sum of money, a pension to remain in luxury the rest of their days. They've been gifted anything from seaside villas to entire estates with full staff, all for a few years of bleeding. Just to make it explicit, there's a lot of blood and gore in this book, as well as taxidermy. Humans aren't the only beings harmed in these pages. There are 24 great houses in the north, though. The bulk of the power is with the House of Hunger, the House of Fog, the House of Locusts, and the House of Mirrors. Marion dreams of leaving Prane and becoming a blood maid, which is super frowned upon in the South. Southerners think it's disgusting and depraved. Marion sees it as a way to a better life. Marion spots an ad in the paper for a blood maid. She sneaks out on her brother to go be interviewed, and I put interviewed in air quotes. She meets a taster who bleeds her and offers her a place in one of the great houses. Marion agrees and leaves praying, not without a lot of difficulty and violence. But when Marion arrives at the House of Hunger, that's when the real story begins. The house employs a number of blood maids, all who serve the Countess Lizabeth Bathory. Countess Bathory has an exceptional need for blood, which is why she employs so many blood maids. Of course, things are not what they seem, and the blood maids vie for rank and attention. This book is so lush and moody and atmospheric and dark, and I had a lot of fun reading it. It's House of Hunger by Alexis Henderson. All right. So I also have a horror book for my next pick today. Tis the Season, and also might, I have not read House of Hunger, but it might rival it for gore possibly even be grosser just it i just i'm assuming it is because it's one of the grossest books i've ever read which some of you are going uh and some of you are going ooh tell me more <laughs> it is leech by Hiran Ennis i hope that you are ready for your gothic sci-fi super gross out book for the halloween season uh, Tamsin Muir, who is the author of the uh, Lock Tomb trilogy, soon to be a quartet, Getting in the Ninth, and all those that I salivate over all the time, calls it Weathering Heights with Worms. So, of course, I had to read it. 
Um, this is Ennis's first novel, and what a way to start. I love that they opened their publishing career with a horrifying novel that isn't for the squeamish. It's just awesome. It takes place at a baron's castle, which has a dark and mysterious reputation, because of course it does. And at the beginning of the book, the baron's doctor has died. So now a new doctor is sent in from the Interprovincial Medical Institute to replace the doctor who has died. And that's really all I can tell you about it. (laughs) It's really all I want to tell you about it, because if you go into it without knowing anything, your mind is going to be blown. I, I just, I can't say too much about the replacement doctor or the time period or the narrator. I don't want to spoil anything. And I, if you want to read this book, I cannot recommend enough that you stay away from reviews. Uh, after I read it, I went online and so many spoilers. I, I don't think people even realize how much they're giving away in some of these descriptions. So I will say that you know, as the new doctor looks after the Baron, they also discover some bad stuff in the basement of the castle. Because, of course they do. It's a gothic horror novel with a castle. Of course there is bad stuff in the basement. I don't think you would be allowed to have a castle if you weren't allowed to have, if you didn't have bad stuff in the basement. But the writing is sublime. It's not a fast-paced book, really, but that's in keeping with its genre. You know, you need that creeping dread. You know, worms don't move very fast. You know, you gotta keep up with that pace. And... It, you know, despite the horrifying subject matter, you know, it, it does have this very 19th century gothic feeling still, you know, in, in like I said, you know, like Tam Samir said, like Wuthering Heights and, you know, that kind of gothic feel. But as the book heads towards its completely unpredictable climax, the amount of horror and distressing events in this book ramp up. So I've basically said a whole lot of nothing about this book. I've told you very little. There's a castle. There's a baron. It's gross. And it rocks. I do have to give content warnings for multiple mentions of gore, body horror, violence, medical experimentation, and child sexual abuse. Like I said, I you know how I hate saying this, but this is not going to be for everyone. But I think it rocks. It is Leech by Hiran Ennis. I have a copy of that sitting next to me right now. They sent me a finished copy and I've just been like eyeing it. And I'm like, am I in the mood? For, <laughs> am I ready for this? Am I in the mood? I don't know. I don't know that anyone is ever ready for it, but <laughs> it's a good time. If you like the troop, um, somebody compared it to the library at Mount Char in like terms of weirdness which mm-hmm. I kind of can see. It definitely is, like, not like Library at Mount Char. But, like, on the weirdness factor and things, like, you're not expecting at all, like, it definitely falls in that category. Interesting. Let's see. For my next book, so I had Vampires, and now I have How to Succeed in Witchcraft by Ashlyn Brophy. Oh, my gosh. This book... <laughs> This book does the most, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't love it. There is there is just so much going on. Scholarship competition at a prestigious high school. Uh, students reluctantly doing a musical. Sapphic romance. Abusive adults. Racist mi- microaggressions. Homophobic microaggressions. Grooming. Oh, and they're all witches, and it's a magical high school, and they're wanting to get into good magical licensing universities. 
Our protagonist and narrator is Shay Johnson. She is a biracial black superstar student at TK Anderson Magical Magnet School. Shay's parents aren't wealthy, and so they've sent her to this well-resourced high school so that she has a better chance at success, namely winning the Brockton Scholarship. The Brockton Scholarship guarantees a full ride and admission, maybe, to her top university of choice, a university that her family could not afford to send her to otherwise. The scholarship is not only based on GPA, but on extracurriculars, both at school and outside of school, and magic levels, which are tested regularly by blood tests. There is a giant leaderboard at school that broadcasts who is in the top spot for the scholarship, mostly based on GPA and magic levels. Shay's fiercest competition is Anna Alvarez, her nemesis. Shay and Anna use every opportunity to drag each other. Condescension with a capital C. The competition is incredibly fierce. Shay is an absolute genius when it comes to potions work. The whole school knows it, and she's the head of the potions club, and she has a part-time job at a potion shop. Her best friend Lex works at the shop as well. Lex is in that time between high school and college where she's trying to get into the college of her choice, or really any college at this point. Shay's mom thinks that Shay and Lex are dating ever since Shay came out to her parents as a lesbian, and it is always awkward to mention Lex at home. To throw more fuel on the fire, there is a teacher, the drama teacher actually, Mr. B as in Brockton, as in the head of the scholarship committee for the Brockton Scholarship, which his very wealthy family gave a lot of money to create. This year, Mr. B has chosen an aggressively diverse musical for the drama club to put on. There aren't actually many students of color, and Mr. B not so subtly lets Shay know that her eligibility to win the scholarship would increase if she did the musical. He may have also told Shay's enemy, Anna, the same thing. Also, Shay is really weirded out by how comfortable Mr. B seems to be with being physically up in her space. But maybe she's overreacting and she definitely doesn't want to ruin her chances to win the scholarship. I had a lot of fun reading this book. I like that it's set in Florida, so not all stories featuring witches or prestigious schools need to be in New England, and I found this little tidbit very refreshing. It's How to Succeed in Witchcraft by Ashlyn Brophy. All right. So those are books that we have read and loved. And now we are going to talk about more of today's releases in paperback and hardcover that we are excited about. And I am going to kick it off I cannot believe that I did not get to this book in time for the podcast. I'm almost ashamed of myself because I love this author so much. It's Shrines of Gaiety by Kate Atkinson, who I think is one of our greatest living historical fiction writers and one of our greatest writers in general. She did the Jackson Brody mystery series. 
which was made into a television show with Jason Isaacs, who's always a good time. But I, I did not see it. I did see uh, them give an interview, and she scared him. She scares me. She, she's just... She tells it like it is, and I think I would be terrified to be around her. I just admire her so much. She's amazing. But this book is set around a London nightclub in the Roaring Twenties. You have all the usual characters, the gangsters, the dance hall girls, the police, the politicians. The main character of this book is a woman named Nellie who runs this world with her six children, and they are trying to defend themselves from the ever-present outside threats, mostly people who are looking to knock her from her throne. I am excited to read this because it's a it's fun to think about a book set during the Roaring Twenties that you, like, wild books with bootleggers are cool. You know, it's fun to read those stories. Like, they didn't have Prohibition in London at this time, I don't believe. Uh, you're all going to tell me that I'm wrong now. You know, so, like, you don't have that, like, added, you know, component of, like, speakeasies and people hiding alcohol and all that stuff. So I think it'll be really interesting to read it. Um, so that is Shrines of Gaiety by Kate Atkinson. Let's see. I have The Genesis of Misery by Neon Yang. This is new today, and I also haven't gotten to it yet, but I'm really excited to hopefully soon. Rebecca Roanhorse blurbed it, saying, This is Joan of Arc meets Gideon the Ninth with a touch of Pacific Rim thrown in as a treat. And, like, if that doesn't get you, I don't know what will. I've been in the mood for a space opera lately, and this book is right on time. It is a sci-fi retelling of Joan of Arc's story. Our hero is named Misery Namaki, and they get a message from an angel saying they're the chosen warrior to lead their people into victory as they are in the middle of a holy war in space. The thing is, Misery doesn't believe in any sort of god. They were raised on a remote mining planet, and they know their angel delusion is due to a hereditary disease. Misery does have a special power, though, which they keep hidden. It's some kind of rare stoneworking power, which is considered a power of a saint. Unfortunately, usually these powers coincide with void madness, a sickness that eventually killed their mother. This angel, though, what if it's not a delusion? What if Misery lets the angel lead them to their destiny? So it's out today. I'm really excited to get to it. It's The Genesis of Misery by Neon Yang. Okay. And before I tell you about my last one, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books for Young Adults. From number one New York Times bestselling author Jennifer L. Armentrout comes a book I have to tell you about. It's Half-Blood, and it follows Alex and her mom who have spent years on the run from The Covenant, a school where their pure descendants of gods hone their powers and half-mortal teens train to kill demons for them. When her mom is murdered, Alex has two options. She can become a servant for the pures or work twice as hard to catch up in her training. The second option seems easier, but it gets a little complicated, you see, when pureblood Aiden becomes her personal trainer. So falling for Aiden isn't her biggest problem, surprisingly. As demons close in, she must fight to stay alive, even while others around her are dropping dead. So again, Jennifer L. Armentrout does the thing when it comes to romance, fantasy, adventure, all those things. Other books are Blood and Ash, A Shadow in the Ember, all those good things. Make sure to check out Half-Blood by Jennifer L. Armentrout 
And thanks again to Bloom Books for Young Adults for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, and while you were talking, I completely Googled prohibition in England, like if it was ever a thing, because I am never more insecure than when I'm actually right, and I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I, as soon as I started to say it, I was like, wait, I didn't actually, like, that's not a thing, right? Like, I just started talking about it, and then I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. But I did. I absolutely did. There's never been prohibition in England, although according to the internet, they have tried. So... <laughs> My last pick for today is Sweet, Soft, Plenty Rhythm by Laura Worrell. This is a fantastic debut about a jazz musician, and it is narrated by various women in his life. I am really looking forward to reading this because it is Lisa Lucas's first acquisition for Pantheon since she moved from the National Book Foundation. She now works uh, for the publisher, and this was the first book she acquired, and she's so excited about it. It's about a man named Circus Palmer, who is a trumpet player and just a straight up player in general, not necessarily in that order. And he has left behind a string of broken hearts and a teen daughter from his marriage. And at the beginning of the book, he finds out that Maggie, a talented drummer with whom he has been having a casual sort of friends with benefits relationship over the years, is pregnant with his child. And in true Circus fashion, he panics and leaves her behind at the hotel where they are staying. And throughout the book, we are going to hear from people close to him and their complicated relationships and feelings about circus. So I'm really looking forward to reading this one. It is Sweet, Soft, Plenty Rhythm by Laura Worrell. And for my last book today, I'm going to leave us on a heavy note. It is Believing, Our 30-Year Journey to End Gender Violence by Anita Hill. This is out in paperback today. I have not yet read it, but like everything else, it's on my TBR. I was 12 when Anita Hill testified against the menace that is Clarence Thomas in 1991. I remember not fully understanding what was happening, just that a lot of adults were mocking her, and that has stuck with me. The fight that Anita Hill was fighting over 30 years ago is still going. Anita Hill is a professor of social policy, law, and women's gender and sexuality studies at Brandeis University. While this book is deeply tied to her personal stories, it encompasses so much more, namely America's story of gender violence over the past three decades. 
It is not just a recounting, but a call to action. As much as folks would like to shove gender-based violence under the umbrella of individual responsibility, it is a systemic problem. It is structural, and we all have a part to play in the fight against it. Again, this is out in paperback today. It's Believing Our 30-Year Journey to End Gender Violence by Anita Hill. Okay, so now it is time for the paperback roundup. There are so many to choose from today. I might have gotten a little carried away, (laughs) but that's okay because you all love to hear about books. That's why we're here. I'm going to kick it off with Beautiful Country, a memoir by Chen Julie Wong. This is about her time as a child when she was seven in 1994, and her family arrived in America from China, where they believed they were coming to what they were always told was the beautiful country and the hardships and racism they faced almost immediately. For Halloween season, Dustin Grimm by Chuck Wendig is out in paperback today. This is a horror book being compared to The Graveyard Book. It is about a pair of orphaned siblings who have lived lived two very different lives, come from two very different backgrounds, and they come back together for the family business, which is a mortuary for monsters. These Silent Woods by Kimmy Cunningham Grant, about a father and daughter who have been living in isolation in the woods for over eight years, and what happens when one year the guy who brings them supplies doesn't show up. Smile, a memoir by Sarah Rule. Rule is a MacArthur genius, a two-time Pulitzer Prize finalist, and a playwright. This is her story about how a high-risk pregnancy left one side of her face paralyzed and how she navigated her new circumstances, and of course, a lot of people telling her just to smile. Several People Are Typing by Calvin Kasulk. This is about a worker who is working from home when his consciousness is accidentally uploaded into his work Slack. His work Slack is like a chat site for, you know, various groups and organizations. And we have one for Book Riot where we talk and mostly post pictures of our pets. Uh, and at first, his employers and his coworkers think it's a joke that he's trying to get out of work. But then they realize, you know, he's actually trapped inside the computer and his body is wasting away at home. Meanwhile, his bosses think we have just created the perfect employee. Dreaming of You, a novel in verse by Melissa Lozada Oliva. This is about a lonely young Latin poet who decides to have a seance and bring pop star Selena back from the dead. Luck of the Titanic by Stacey Lee, about twin British-Chinese acrobats, one of whom stows away on the Titanic's maiden voyage, hoping to make her fame and fortune in America in a circus. Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. Dora is the Pulitzer Prize-winning author of All the Light We Cannot See. This is a cloud, atlasy sci-fi, history novel set in past, present, and future. Solutions and Other Problems by Ali Brosh. Brosh is the author of the memoir Hyperbole and a Half. She draws those hilarious cartoons of the little kid who gets into all kinds of trouble. And this is another memoir... And I highly recommend reading her books because she is an author who is very honest about her mental health. Dava Shastri's Last Day by Kritana Ramasetti. This is about a very rich matriarch of a family who is on her deathbed, so decides to release the announcement of her death early to see what people will say about her, and instead it accidentally reveals a secret she didn't want anyone to know. And then in paperback originals today, meaning these are new books that are coming out in paperback to start. Witchful Thinking 
by Celestine Martin about a high school history teacher who is sort of witchy at night and accidentally casts a spell on herself uh, in which she had been wishing for more in her life, uh, a more exciting life. And now she finds that it's bringing all this new stuff into her life and, and she doesn't know how to handle it. And, but possibly also it's good because she gets to meet the cute guy across the street. The Sacrifice by Rin Chupiko. This is a YA horror survival novel set on a deserted island. Now, remember I told you at the beginning that when I got to Neba, like everyone was like, you read Mother Thing, right? You read Mother Thing. And I was like, no, I don't know what this book is. And it turns out that I did have this book, but it's called Mother Thing. I thought the title said Mothering, and so I didn't make the connection in my head. There is a book out today in paperback called Mother Thing, all one word, by Ainsley Hogarth, in which a couple moves in with the husband's mother, who is an absolute nightmare. And like I said, they everyone is telling me that I absolutely have to read this book, so I'm definitely going to get to it soon. And also at Neba, we heard a speech from Kate Messner, the author of over 50 books, and she hand-sold us Talk Santa to Me by Linda Urban, which is a YA novel about a teen girl whose family owns a christmas theme empire of stores, and she has a crush on the boy who works at the tree lot, and she hopes that he will kiss her during the holiday season to erase the memory of her horrible actual first kiss. And so those are some paperbacks out today, which is which is pretty exciting. So Patricia, what are you going to read next? Let's see. So I am in, like, I'm just about I don't know, one-fifth through The Sunbearer Trials by Aidan Thomas, which came out earlier this month. And also, I'm starting Rust in the Root by Justina Ireland, which also came out just recently. And speaking of root work, I am also reading The Little Book of Root Work, A Beginner's Guide to Hoodoo by Paris Ajana. How about you? So I'm definitely going to read Mother Thing by Ainsley Hogarth, because like I was just saying, everyone says I have to read it. I'm also really excited to start All Night Pharmacy by Ruth Madivsky. Everyone is talking about this one on Twitter. It, it's I can find very little information about it, but I did get the galley. So uh, looking at the galley information, it's called Rachel Kushner meets David Lynch in a fever dream, which is like, please just rub it directly onto my brain. Uh, it sounds amazing. <laughs> it's set in LA. I'm very excited about this one. And it's out from Catapult, one of my favorite publishers. So I don't think I can go wrong. But I am also very excited to read uh, at the at Neba. I know I keep talking about Neba. I'm sorry. But they do have the New England Bookseller Award that they award to authors every year. And the uh, Children's Award this year went to Zachary Ying and the Dragon Emperor by Shirin Zhe Zhao. And... They made a video because they couldn't be there in person, and it was hilarious, their very short acceptance speech, and now I have to read this book because I've read Iron Widow, which is being made into a movie now, they announced a couple of days ago, uh, and this is a middle grade novel from that same author, and yay, books, is I guess how I'm going to end that. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, books. But it is like the theme of my life, you know? I, I just... I just, it's my calling and, you know, going away this week, it just reinforces that to me, you know, like we do some of the things that we do because we feel like we have to, no matter, no matter what it pays and, you know, no matter what else is going on in the world, like 
it's just it's a calling talking about books it yeah i i hear you and it's also like i'm so grateful that i also like that i get to do this because not everyone gets to do that thing that is their calling yeah yeah i i completely agree i i feel so grateful every day for it and, you know, for all the people that do it, the booksellers, the publishers, and the, the book reps. Like, we don't talk about book reps very often. They are like the equivalent of the person who sells you a ticket at the movies, right? They are giving you the thing to get you to the thing that you are going to love. You know, book reps, they drive all over the place, hundreds of miles. They go to stores, and they are the ones who are like the go-between from the publisher to the bookstore. And they say... You know, I know that this particular bookseller is going to love these books and this particular bookseller is going to love these books. And they are so, so, so important. And like, they're like the unsung heroes of the book world. Like nobody talks <laughs> about the reps, except, you know, they, they do give an award every year at the convention because they're just amazing. They are superheroes, these people. And so I just wanted to shout them out because most people probably don't even realize that these people have these jobs doing this. So... Yay, books! <laughs> yeah, shout out to book reps. <laughs> so that is all for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink, who is probably so proud of me because I did not mess up 800 times like the last few times we've recorded this show. If you want to talk to us, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. I will tell you more about book reps. If you want to find us online, we mostly hang out on Instagram. You'll see pictures of our skeleton toys and skeleton food and skeleton everything. <laughs> Patricia is the info file, which is T-H-E-I-N-F-O-P-H-I-L-E. I mostly hang out on Instagram, too, at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your cauldron or wherever it is that you get your podcast. And if you leave a rating or review, it helps other book lovers to find us. And we will love you for it forever. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search bookriot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.